everybody. Welcome to the show. This is PRI Talk, and I am Jason here with you today. Had I talked uh, last week a little bit about just some of the um, roadblocks and some of the challenges that lay ahead as far as recruiting goes. Um, I did want to dive into that a little bit more uh, this week um, and, and talk about a few more specific things um, <clears throat> that maybe you're you're not hearing about that, that I think are going to have an impact um, on recruiting. So the first thing um, that we do need to talk about is that the we are waiting on the NCAA. Okay. So we are waiting on the NCAA to make a decision about um, fall or spring. Now this, um, and we'll get into some of the schools um, and, and where all the different conferences and stuff like that are here in just a second. But um, the NCAA does have a decision to make. Are they going to have a championship segment in the fall or are they going to move to the spring? So all these schools, uh, or at least majority of them, um, the wording is is they they've canceled the fall um, or they've postponed the fall until, until the spring. Okay, so the NCAA has a decision to make: Are they going to have a championship, a volleyball championship, this fall, or are they going to move the championship to um, the spring uh, season for volleyball? And so for for those schools that have already decided to move their um, fall volleyball season to the spring or try to do it in the spring, um, you know, they obviously wouldn't have an opportunity to compete this fall. And so that is kind of one of the big um, issues that um, the the rest of the schools um, are, are sort of waiting for and that a lot of other decisions will hinge upon. Okay. So, um, and, and we know that the NCAA doesn't like to make tough decisions. Um, they don't necessarily like inserting themselves in things that are difficult, in my opinion. Um, they they uh, will tend to sit back <clears throat> and they'll make decisions um, that necessarily don't impact them. And that's super easy to do. Um, but they won't make decisions that will kind of, <clears throat> you, you know, like when we talk about technology and things like that and, and all this NIL stuff that I talked about a few weeks ago, the NCAA is obviously years behind. And, and because they don't want to be at the forefront of anything, they're very reactionary. Um, and so, you know, I think in a lot of ways, the NCAA has been waiting on um, some of these power five schools to see if they want to go forward with the fall. Obviously, a lot of uh, almost everything hinges on football um, and how that works. Um, but for volleyball specifically, you know, <clears throat> making the decision um, as far as uh, what um, – when the championship segment is going to be okay um they have said um through coaches that i've talked to that they are not going to split the championship segment so they're not going to have a 32 team championship in the fall for those teams that um, are electing to play this fall still and they're not going to have a 32 team segment in the spring they're not going to split that up um that's something that they don't um want to do so uh, as of right now, um, as far as schedules go, um, most of the Power Five has said that they want to go to a conference-only schedule. Um, I think the Big 12 and the SEC uh, are supposed to make an actual official decision uh, here in the next week about what their plan is um, as far as fall schedules. My guess is that's will, where they'll start. Um, SEC has already pushed back the season, I think, until the middle of September, maybe the first week of September is when fall sports are going to start. 
Um, and so a lot of that pushback, uh, in, as far as the season goes, um, you know, gravitates towards a conference only schedule, uh, the Sunbelt and the Southland, uh, conference, um, and they're, you know, those schools out here in Texas have, um, have, uh, decided to do a, a mostly conference, uh, schedule. I think there's, they, they've kind of left the wording up and up to the, um, individual schools if they choose to do a, an extra, um, match here or there, then they're allowed to. Um, and, and the power fives have been very clear as far as um, if if we're doing any out of conference matches, then the schools that we're playing must adhere to the same uh, coronavirus COVID-19 guidelines uh, that we are using. Um, and my understanding is uh, for the power fives, you know, those schools that can test every week, which I'm, I'm almost positive what they're doing right now. Um, that that it's something to the effect of 72 hours before um, a match that that the the school must have a you know in order to participate you must have a, a negative test that's that's the information that i'm hearing from those power fives and kind of how they've set up some of those regulations um it, it canceled the fall season or postponed the fall season uh we know those conferences at least as of right now um the a10 the aec big west ivy league and the patriot league have canceled the fall season um, delayed it to, you know, the start of the spring, um, uh, I think is potentially the plan for some of them. Um, I, I want to say that, that not all of them actually came out and said that specifically that we're postponing till the spring season. Um, but obviously that's, a definitely something that, that they can communicate later on. Um, and, and various other conferences have delayed, uh, the start of their season. Um, it originally is about the end of August. Um, and some conferences have pushed back the start date until the first week of September, second week of September, something like that. Um, the NCAA is, is uh, apparently um, getting together next week um, to make a decision on on fall sports. Um, I, I doubt that they will make a decision then. I, I'm I'm going to guess that they're going to wait until all the Power Fives have at least made a decision on whether or not we're doing conference only. And then they will come um, and, and, and say something specifically about uh, what they're doing for the fall. Um, so, so again, we're, we're wait, a lot of things hinge on what the NCAA um, decides to do going forward. Okay, So um, one of the things that has been interesting, and again, these are the things that we're, that we're not hearing a whole lot about, um, th- there are a lot of schools that have their athletes on campus already and have been on campus um, since sometime in June. Um, a lot of people know that, you know, parents are dropping off their kids and, and that sort of thing. Um, and so obviously that's something that people know. Um, but what I had heard for the first time um, this week is that there are several schools um, in, in three different conferences, um, Big 12, SEC, and, and Pac-12 schools, that have had their athletes and teams on campus already. They've already been doing the testing. Um, and in a couple of instances, I believe three schools, at least that I know of, um, they've either canceled workouts, stopped workouts, or kind of sent their athletes home. Um, one school in particular, I know the coach is no longer there um, on campus. Um, they actually went back home. And so I would assume that the athletes went back home. Also, I don't know if they're still living on campus. Um, I would assume that if, if the coaches leaving campus, um, once their athletes are already there, that probably the athletes 
left campus also. And what happened is these athletes were doing, um, you know, their preseason or, or summer workouts and things like that. And they started um, having positive tests for coronavirus. So they canceled workouts, um, kind of canceled the summer season and, and either sent everybody home or just had them, I don't, you know, quarantine in their dorms or whatever. Um, but, but that is something that has happened. I hadn't heard that yet uh, until recently. So, so this idea um, of us potentially starting a fall volleyball season but not being able to finish it um, is a legitimate um, discussion right now where, where these coaches are saying, hey, we, we can start the season, but chances are we won't be able to finish it right now. Um, and that's really interesting because, again, uh, going back to what I said a few weeks ago, um, the, the details have been lacking as far as what things are going to look like. Um, and, and a lot of that is, again, because we, we don't have this overarching decision, big picture decision on, on are we going to have a fall? Are we going to have a championship? Are we, are we doing those things? And so figuring out the smaller things um, ha- have been secondary. Um, and, and communication hasn't been um, always great. You know, at some of these schools, the, the ADs are communicating with coaches on a consistent, regular, weekly basis. Um, and at other schools, they aren't. Um, some schools, the coaches and ADs don't talk super often, um, you know, once a month, maybe once every other month. Um, and so there's some coaches that are kind of in the dark about what actually is going on administratively and legislatively and things like that. So, um, so communication is a huge part of um, all of this, okay? Uh, the, the next thing, and I've been saying this since the middle of May, um, the dead period is going to get extended through December. That's almost, um, I mean, I would put money on that at this point. Um, I definitely would have put money on it a month and a half ago, but, um, now definitely putting money on there being a dead period, um, for division one schools, at least, uh, through the end of December, um, that, that, uh, um, recruiting, um, you know, comp, not competition, um, but but keeping everything uh, recruiting advantage, the recruiting advantage that Division One schools always have such an issue with, um, that's huge um, here. So because um, you have some states are more open than others, um, just like you've kind of had this whole time. Um, but we are going to see uh, the Division One dead period get extended through December. Um, I'll, I'll almost guarantee that. And like I said, I've been saying that since May, since May 15th or so when they, when they extended the dead period through the end of June, I said, there's no reason why they can't extend it through July. And then August, you're already at a quiet period. And so at that point, you're going to have a dead period in August also. And so then why not just do it for the rest of the fall to cut down on travel, cut down on interactions um, and things like that. So um, I think that's going to happen. It is going to make it difficult um, for athletes to get on campus and, and do school visits and stuff like that. And, and definitely is, is going to affect some timelines. Um, this definitely has some eligibility impacts. Okay. When you're talking about, um, having, are we going to have a fall season? Are we going to have a spring season? I'm, I mean, my personal opinion is that we're not going to be in a, in a whole lot different position, um, you know, in, in August or September or October, um, than we are in December. So I, I think, you know, athletes returning to campus in January, we're going to have the same, uh, we're going to have to have the same restrictions. We're going to have the same kind of contagious issues um, with the coronavirus that we're going to be in the same place in January. 
Um, and obviously all these ADs and presidents and uh, NCAA are all making these decisions based on the health of the student athlete, um, which is of course great because uh, you know no one wants to have a kid come down with this and then get sick and stuff like that. Obviously there's a bunch of athletes that have come down with it um, in, in some other sports and that's been a little bit more um, in the press than, than volleyball. But um, yeah, it was interesting to hear uh, that there had been some some teams already on campuses and already get sent home um, because you know so many had 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 a positive test. So but we will see some eligibility impacts here uh, with all this going on. Uh, redshirting, um, athletes are already talking about redshirting. Um, they're already asking their coaches, hey, can I redshirt this season? Um, that that's going to be a, a huge issue as, as you know, for, for these coaches and as far as recruiting goes and things like that. Um, talked to a coach a few weeks ago uh, and they had told me, you know, they had planned on one athlete graduating early and now they're having three um, want to graduate early. Um, you know, one of those reasons being, um, you know, they don't know what the fall is going to look like. They don't want other spring. Um, like they had this last year, as far as, you know, the whole college experience and, and so many people, you know, or are going to college for this quote unquote college experience. And you don't get that college experience when you're sitting in your dorm room, taking online classes, you just don't. And when there's no athletics, when there's no sports going on, that's a huge part of the, the college experience and, and the socializing and things like that. So, um, so, so that to me is, is really interesting. Um, that you have students that are like, hey, I want to graduate early. I want to get out of here. I want to get a job. And, um, you know, this experience as far as college and college athletics is not what I signed up for or not what I really want to do. And so I, if I can be done sooner and later than I want to. Um, so it, it's, it's interesting you have athletes kind of on both sides. Hey, I want to stick around and redshirt a year, redshirt a year because I want to play more. And then you have other athletes that are like, if I can get out of here, you know, sooner the better and start my career and all that kind of stuff, which is fine. I think either either argument is valid um, for what these athletes want to do. It's just kind of a crazy time. Um, and this definitely impacts recruiting. Okay, so this this happened in the spring uh, when NCAA canceled all the spring seasons um, and then uh, granted another year of eligibility to all those athletes that have had their spring season um, canceled. Now, I was um, <laughs> rebuked socially and, uh, on, on social media and told that I was wrong and a bad person and all sorts of other things. Um, because, uh, because I, I said that the NCAA shouldn't, um, and everyone was saying it was the right decision. Uh, these athletes deserved it and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and not that they don't deserve another year of eligibility, but my argument was, um, it was not the right decision by the NCAA but it was the easy decision, not necessarily the wrong decision, but it was the easy decision. Okay. Um, and why was it the easy thing for the NCAA to do? Um, because NCAA, after they make that decision, they're not the bad guy, right? Um, the bad guy becomes the AD and the coach um, and the sports supervisors and the sports administrators. They become the bad guy um, after that, because now a coach is looking at the roster and going, do I keep this uh, senior? Um, for another year? Um, or do I bring in a freshman? Um, you know, coaches and, and ADs having to deal with 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 budget issues. Um, the NCAA is not increasing the scholarship cap for these sports um, in this incident, um, in this uh, specific incident. 
And um, it's not like ADs and presidents are, are giving athletics more money right now to pay for the scholarship difference that needs to happen. Um, if you're trying to keep, you know, seniors that might graduate if they want another year um, and, and these incoming freshmen to keep all those scholarships, you're not getting an increase in, in scholarship dollars. Um, so it creates a huge um, recruiting issue for these coaches um, and is definitely going to affect the 2022 class um, and definitely going to affect the 2023 class. Um, it has in these spring sports, and if we get into that kind of situation in the fall, it'll be um, for the fall sports, it'll be the same thing. Okay. Um, and again, not not that these athletes shouldn't be given another year of eligibility. Um, that that to me is a, is a is a different discussion. Um, but that um, that it's the quote unquote right decision for the NCAA to do that. And, and my argument is it's it's not the right decision. It's the easy decision um, because because the the hammer falls on the coach, and, and the coach has to have the conversation with the athlete. That can no longer that is no, no longer going to be on scholarship, no longer on the team um, that wants to play. They have to have those conversations with the parents um, and athletes and, and sort all that out. Um, and so that it's a complicated issue um, after the fact. And and um, while I think a lot of people uh, were were valid in having the argument that they should be given another year of eligibility, I think there's some validity there. Um, but whether or not um, it's it's the you know should that is that going to fall on the, it's going to fall on the coach's head and the AD's head. Um, and like I said before, it's an easy decision for the NCAA to make um, because they don't have to deal with it after that. Right. Um, so again, we could get into that situation with fall sports um, as conferences are choosing and deciding to, um, to cancel fall and maybe even not try to do volleyball in the spring. Um, again, I think there's some semantic, issues there with how some of these statements are coming out and, and maybe not every conference is turning around and planning to have volleyball in the spring. Um, you'd have to go back and, and, and look at each one specifically, but um, that, that again could have some uh, potential issues there as far as uh, recruiting goes. Okay. Um, and it falls back again to some of the things I was saying last week, smaller budgets, fewer roster spots. Um, coaches are going to have to decide whether or not they keep athletes um, and, and that sort of thing. Okay. Um, <clears throat> here are some other interesting, uh, recruiting impacts, um, that, that are gonna happen because of all this. Um, what's been happening recently, uh, with, with the quarantine and everything that happened in, you know, March and April, um, there are a lot of athletes that wanted to, especially in the 2021 class that wanted to visit campus and they weren't able to, um, in the 2022 class, most of these athletes will be going to camp over the summer, uh, you know, making visits over the summer and, and early this fall um, to campuses. Now, because of the dead period, again, most likely going to get extended all the way through December. Um, these athletes, how are they going to visit campus, right? Um, so, so when they're talking to coaches, how are they going to, um, without creating some sort of violation, get on get on campus? Okay, so uh, what what some coaches have been doing. Um, is if an athlete can get on campus, but again, that's that's a whole other issue um, for Division One. Um, just a quick aside: some of Division Two schools, um, you know, they are leaving it up to their own uh, campus whether or not they're going to be open and allow visits and allow athletes or students on campus and things like that. Um, Division Two has kind of said, "You do what you can." And again, my argument and difference for that is um, Division Two recruits on more of a regional scale, a regional level. 
Um, and so a, a school on the East Coast recruiting a kid from California or from Texas, um, you know, they might have more trouble recruiting that kid at the Division One school than a kid from a Division One school in Texas. OK, so just the the, um, the, the recruiting advantage potential there um, is an issue. So but what has been happening um, and I know this because I've talked to several coaches and athletes um, that athletes are on campus and they're on FaceTime with a coach and they're doing sort of a, uh, you know, quote unquote, virtual tour with the coach while they're on campus. Um, now, depending on who you ask and depending on who reads the interp that day, um, this is a, a potential violation. Um, but again, this is happening. Students are going to campus um, whether or not the coaches are doing a FaceTime um, or not, you are seeing athletes kind of self-guide, um, do tours on campuses at the Division One level. Um, again, not every at student athlete that visits campus is having a FaceTime with a coach. Okay, some coaches I've, I've, that I've talked to have said we're not doing that. Um, we feel like it's 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 a violation. Our compliance has said it's a violation. One of those factors, um, so they aren't doing it, which I think is is great. Um, uh, What's interesting about this rule, um, and and I'll get into some of the the changes here, is that the the athletes are allowed to interact. If you have athletes on campus, they can interact with a student athlete on a visit. Okay, um, as long as they're not doing it um, by uh, by the, the coach asking their athletes to interact with this um, potential student athlete, the PSA. Um, but but I can tell you exactly how these conversations. Um, go with players is chances are right like like all my athletes they knew who we were recruiting okay and if, and if a kid was coming to campus um chances are uh that athlete is um you know instant messaging or texting one of our players say hey i'm coming to campus and all the girls are like hey great now those athletes that are already on my team they're coming to me and going hey so and so said they're coming on a visit you know is she doing that? It's like, well, you know, she she might be. It's dead period right now. Blah 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 blah. But those conversations are happening, um, and, and the coach, you know, whether or not they they know, whether or not they quote unquote know or, or admit to it, those conversations are happening with your athletes because it, it's not like the 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 PSA and your student athlete are having this conversation, and your athlete isn't you know coming to you as a coach and asking you questions about it. That, that for sure is happening. Um, I think when when coaches claim kind of the ignorance um, card about things going on within their program, um, I, I just think that that's really hard. I think even if we don't know, no, like even if we don't have proof that those things are happening, we're, we've got a pretty good idea. So, um, so what's interesting about this um, with, with all this the virtual tour stuff is that coaches want to amend these rules so that athletes can get on campus in the 22 and 23 class because they didn't have camp, um, you know, and all that stuff. The, the no camp pledge, I, I've talked about that before. So this is interesting to me because of all the talk about slowing things down. So the same coaches that are talking about slowing things down are now asking the NCAA to basically allow unofficial visits for the 2023 class because of COVID. Um, and so on the one hand, hey, we need to slow recruiting down. On the other hand, we want to grant unofficial visits to the 2023 class um, because we didn't get to have camp. So we want to stay with the same timeline that we've had um, because that's what we want to do. And so we're not really slowing things down. Again, you can go back and listen to my podcast out from the June 15th and get into that. 
Um, but that doesn't make a whole sense to me. Um, but maybe in the next few weeks, some of my friends can explain kind of that whole um, idea and process to me and, and what, how they think, you know, we can justify um, extending unofficial visits to the 2023 class when it's already a rule that we can't um, just to keep our timelines the same. Um, like I said, their reasoning behind it is that these athletes didn't get to come to camp and won't be able to do camps or do campus visits in the fall. Um, so, so in the face of a dead period for the whole fall, we want to amend the rules so that timelines don't have to change too much for the 23 class. Right. And that's, that, that to me is really interesting that we're, that we're having that discussion. Okay. Um, so, so these are some of the things and some of the, the issues as far as impacting, uh, again, and there's lots of different variables here still, like I said, we've got kind of the overarching thing with NCAA and then a lot, a lot of little things, um, that are, that are coming out and going to come out that are going to impact um, the different uh, recruiting classes. All right, so starting a new little segment here. Uh, I've, been, I've been trying to figure out what I need to do, you know, maybe kind of uh, sort of consistently um, and kind of have a little different segment here. Um, obviously, we're talking about recruiting. We're talking about, you know, uh, volleyball and college and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I wanted to do a little segment um, that I'm calling um, off the court. So so I did want to talk and, and kind of throw out there this whole thing that happened with Joe Kelly. Um, and, and we got to talk about the Joe Kelly with all the baseball stuff. Um, so, if, so if you don't know or you haven't seen on Instagram or heard about it on ESPN, you know, the Astros cheated, won a couple of World Series. That obviously uh, made a lot of people very upset. Um, and, and, you know, they have a huge target on their backs this season. Um, teams want to beat them, you know, not for winning a World Series, but cheating and winning a World Series. So the Astros have a huge target on their back. Um, and, and I kind of had said, uh, you know, through all of this, I, I didn't say it in too many places because we don't talk about baseball a ton. Um, but since they cheated, I kind of figured and almost expected for the first batter of every game um, to get beamed. Um, that just kind of is what I thought would happen and kind of jokingly, but, um, and I don't know if that's necessarily justified, but you just think something like that was going to happen. Okay. And, but one of my issues with baseball has always been the unwritten rules. Um, they kind of baseball kind of passes judgment within themselves, um, for certain things, right? So you hit one of our guys, we hit one of yours, eye for an eye, we're done. Okay. And, and that's how we, that's how we deal with it. That's how we get, I don't want to call it revenge, but it's, it's kind of the, the, you know, the back and forth. Um, now the issue with baseball and unwritten rules is who decides whether or not a beaning or a slide or a bat flip is justified and, and who decides whether or not the retaliation is, is, you know, uh, an appropriate retaliation for what happened or if it's extra. Okay. So who, who decides that? Well, well, they, they don't do a very good job in my opinion, kind of following the, the, you know, the overall unwritten rules. And of course they're unwritten. So that makes it really, really hard. The unwritten rules has always been a huge problem. Okay. And, and Batista is a great example. So living in Texas, all this Batista stuff happened, right? The, the bat flip uh, during the postseason, um, And then, you know, the next season, I think in their first game against the Rangers, uh, he gets beamed. Right. And of course he's very unhappy about getting beamed. Um, because he doesn't think it was justified, right? The bat flip was, you know, whatever. He didn't think much of the bat flip. So he gets beamed. He's upset about it. His slide into second is a little bit wild because he's mad about the bat flip thing. 
and and uh, the, the second baseman or shortstop, I can't remember, um, o, uh, Odor, right? Odor um, pops him one, like just straight uh, punches him after after the slide. And and but what it cracked me up about it was Batista tried to claim like the whole innocence thing, and he didn't know. Uh, well, it punched me, and and Batista just couldn't get his punch off fast enough, um, and Odor beat him to it. That was kind of why it it looked so um, bad, but. So, so who, again, who is, who is, um, in control of the justification and making sure that justice is done in these unwritten rules, right? So it's a huge, huge issue. Um, so, so Joe Kelly was his two fastballs by two different players. I think one was actually a changeup, but it's still coming, you know, 80 plus miles an hour. Um, and he was two balls by two different players heads. And, and that of course upset a lot of people. Um, because a part of these quote unquote unwritten rules where you don't go after a guy's head. I think that's, I think that's anyone would agree with that situation um, is you don't go after a guy's head. You hit him in the hip or the side or whatever. Um, but the head is off limits because you're talking about you can kill somebody um, pretty easily going for the head. So he throws two. Um, maybe you call them wild pitches. Apparently Joe Kelly has a problem with his control. I think that's a, a very convenient excuse. Um, but, uh, so, so he was his two balls by two different players heads. Um, you can go, you know, Google search it, it'll, it'll show up. Um, and you can decide for yourself whether it was intentional or not. But, um, so Kelly and the batter that he eventually strikes out, have some choice words for each other, some facial expressions, you know, whatever. Um, they go back and forth. Bench is clear. It's ultimate spectacle, the ultimate spectacle of how, um, ridiculous unwritten rules of baseball baseball are um in my opinion so and and joe kelly i think was suspended for eight games and there were people um on twitter and social media defending him and i just think i I think it's you know they're mad about the suspension he didn't even hit anybody like blah 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 um someone uh said a, a former pitcher said that you know he quote unquote gets it and and if getting it is is whizzing balls at people's heads then then if, if you're on that side, then you don't necessarily have a leg to stand on as far as, um, you know, retaliation the next time. Right. So if, if you get beamed, um, then you don't really have, I mean, you think it's justified. Right. So I, the, the unwritten rules of baseball have always been an issue for me. I think the Joe Kelly incident, I, I, I think it's something that's probably going to happen more times in Houston. Um, I read that, you know, the base, like major league baseball has come out and said, we like, they don't want this to be happening. And I think that's probably why they came down so hard on Joe Kelly at first, um, the eight game suspension, um, was because they don't want the Astros to get head hunted at, which is good. I mean, you don't want to have every Astros game have a bench clearing, right? That, that looks bad for baseball. So, so anyway, that is, um, off the court. Uh, thank you guys for listening and I will, uh, hear you again, see you again next week. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening. If you would like more tips, updates, or recruiting assistance, go to my website, privolleyball.com. Check out my blog or reach out to me directly. If you have any other questions, you can also find me on social media on Facebook and Instagram at Parallel Recruiting Initiative. If you need specific recruiting help, I have a couple different ways I can help you. Please reach out to me on my website or social media. Thanks for listening.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you have found this podcast interesting, helpful, or beneficial, or you're just a huge fan of myself, then please think about donating to the PRI Talk podcast. I would love to continue bringing you recruiting advice as well as information on current and volleyball events, and your support can definitely help make that happen.